everyone. Welcome to the Uphill Athlete Podcast. We are continuing on with our trail running podcast series and talking about pacing and crewing as those are super vital components of trail running. Today, I'm thrilled to bring on a good friend of mine, a badass pacer. He has helped me um, in a successful Canyons 100, and he is here to talk to us all things pacing. He's also super knowledgeable about running and just a, a fun chat. So Nick, thanks so much for being on. That's quite the intro and thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Of course. So first of all, where are you coming to us from and how did you get your start in this silly sport? As we were just talking off script, um, it's a silly sport that doesn't really matter, but it's a lot of fun of ultra running. Yeah, so I'm Australian, but I've been in London, UK for almost 10 years now, and I'm leaving London permanently on Monday, so you're getting me in the last week here. Um, I was always an athlete, so I uh, grew up swimming, grew up in the outdoors, played field hockey, so I was running a lot, but never ran, and then kind of when I moved over here in my mid-20s, I just um, wanted to get exercise and kind of explore the city, so I just started running. I didn't like the gym, so I was just go out the door, go for a run, and then one thing led to another. I started doing that more, started finding things, and then uh, stumbled across a YouTube documentary about the Western States 100, which became a bit of an obsession as, you know, after having me pace you for seven hours, but kind of fell into sport, started researching things, jumped up to races, jumped up to longer distances very quickly and just fell in love with the sport, traveled a lot, met some wonderful people and just very quickly just became a part of my life and something that I you know, love to do and you know, is very much part of who I am. Um, again, as silly as it is, there's great people, there's great opportunities to travel and just have fun adventures really, which is what it's all about for me and why I've stayed in the sport um, through ups and downs and injuries and the likes that we all tend to have. Oh, that's awesome. And I... We really should just do a separate podcast of your history or knowledge of the history of Western states because I have never known more about the race. I feel like I haven't even half tapped into what you know, and uh, it was a ton of fun to have your knowledge as we were actually on quite a few sections of the race itself. So that's a future episode. But the reason why we have Nick on is that Nick, first of all, is such a huge member of the trail running community. He has, he will just come to the U S and come crew and pace and help at Western States at canyons. And so he has a really in-depth knowledge of, um, kind of the, the behind the scenes workings of ultra running. And so he's here to talk to us about pacing. Um, so first off, Nick, what is a pacer? What, like, what, is, what is that? So I think the origin of pacing is it dates back to like sort of like particularly the 100 mile distance predominantly in America. I think it's mainly a North American thing. You will see races outside of America have them like Australia, New Zealand, but it's very much centralized to North America. And it sort of goes back to the long 100 mile races where you could be 24 hours, 30 hours in a race. And then there's quite elements where it's, you know, like a 
let's say Western States is a point to point hundred mile there's some sections which are quite exposed same with like, like races like Hard Rock where there's like long stretches you're in high alpine environments there's lots of danger there's trying to find the course and you're often in the middle of nowhere often with no cell reception and in a race so the pace there with someone that's not an official part of the race they've not signed up to race they don't get any medals they don't pay any fees but they are signed on they often you know will, nowadays will sign a declaimer and wear a bib that says pacer so they're officially attached to a runner um there's obviously lots of rules and things which we'll get into but that person generally is an accompaniment for safety now so that's during the night so it's an extra pair of eyes it's just making sure things are safe it's navigating things where maybe course markings have come away or you don't you've never been there before and it's nice and you're climbing up a mountain and is it the right way and there's maybe not a lot of people around or you've got a long stretch between you know a points or maybe where there's cell reception and probably back and maybe you didn't have your phones and things on your watch to guide you so that's the sort of origin of it um recently i guess i recently as races got more competitive the pacer would also be an element of in competition so having a pacer so for the front and the faster runners having a pacer to push them and help with strategy and mind games with other runners and all those things all within the rules within the race but that pace of there can make a big difference and you know get someone to as an example push someone to run up a hill where they're tired and they want to walk and you know try and chase someone that's in first and you know there's multiple cases of you know and stories of mind games of paces and you know people contributing their extra push at the end of a race due to a pacer so um, but the origin is very much a safety part and that's still very prominent these days um, if some runners are out there for 30, 40 hours and, you know, depending on the race and the day, they could be in the night twice. Um, you see bears, you see cougars, you have all these number of things. And, you know, as we know, anything could happen when we're out there on a run. Um, you could fall, you could get injured. So there's an extra element of safety and uh, particularly for races that don't have mandatory kits. So um, you may have less things you're there. So you have someone that's you know physically there to guide you, but you're, they're very much attached to the person running, they also have, you know, to abide by the rules and regulations of the race, and they're all different, but essentially you could get, you know, having a pacer there if they do things which are, you know, outside of the race rules that can disqualify the runner. So there's um, a big responsibility there. That's fantastic. I mean, you pretty much covered all of it. Really, that safety factor is such a key component. And I like to think of them as a friend that becomes your brain and reminds you to eat snacks and stay on track um, is another another piece of it. But um, an interesting component, and you touched on this with a pacer, is that pacers are not a universal part of ultra running. So where do you see pacers not allowed? Because they are not allowed in uh, many parts of the world. So they're very, like, I don't think there's any races in Europe that allow pacers. There may be one or two, but generally it's not. Um, Generally pacers are in the 100 mile distance, some 100 kilometer races, but it's generally 100 miles or above. It's generally thought that races, you know, um, distances shorter than that don't need paces um, and then there's other things like logistics and the amount of bodies on a course and that sort of cost benefit but traditionally it's the races like western states leadville hard rock cascade crest hurt those big hundred milers and you know there's plenty of other ones that would have paces as well you don't see them on sort of the 24-hour races like the track races or those enclosed ones so it's generally those long distance hundred miles in the mountains um, occasionally some hundred k's 
races in Europe generally make you have a whole bunch of mandatory kits. So all these things that you would just have to have with you and you can get disqualified for. So that in some ways makes it safer. So that if you're stopped for say two hours at a mountain pass that someone can safely evacuate you. So there's that element there. A lot of some races have permitting issues, which means that there's only a certain amount of runners through a certain area. So that would, depending on where the race is, if it's a point where you would traditionally have a pacer. So in generally anywhere after the 50 to 60 mile mark, I think generally 60 miles, but some races will say 50. Um, so that all those factors there is generally, again, um, you, if you're looking for a race with a pacer, it's generally a North American 100 miler in the mountains. Totally. And I think that that's a, a very funny point of, I don't know if it's contention, but just joking amongst Europeans and Americans where the uh, Europeans will kind of make fun of the Americans for getting to have a safety blanket of another human running with them. But I also have had incredible experiences with the Pacers, had a ton of fun, have done European races where I don't get them and wish that I'd had a friend out there. Uh, so there's definitely um, pluses and minuses, I think, to both. I think that it's really a beautiful thing in the European races where you are in asked to handle yourself in a different manner. You don't have, yes, you have the safety kit, but you don't have the mental boost of a friend who's coming to run with you. And so I think that that's a different challenge in its own manner. I think it's a very worthy challenge. I do also think that having a pacer uh, is a great safety measure, especially if it might be your first hundred or it might be um, something where you're tackling a bigger challenge. Also, I think from a strategy standpoint, Pacer, as you said, can really push you. Um, so they're just different elements, um, different pieces that make things challenging or easier. And so, yeah, pacing is just kind of a, a fun uh, aspect of trail running that you can dabble and use in, in different ways. Um, I think it's worth mentioning as well that, you know, whilst pacing is you know, very popular. There are, it's an optional thing. Um, each race will sort of state if you're allowed to have a pacer, how many generally be, you know, from a, if you let's say it's a 60 mile race, generally you'd have one for 20 miles, one for 20 miles. All the rules are different, but there are people that have, you know, some of the best runners in the world don't like using pacers and have done incredible things um, without pacers, equally some that love a pacer. And there's, and sometimes that will uh, change race to race depending on what you need at the time, how you're feeling, any number of factors. So I think it's you know very much a North American flavor. Um, it's different to racing in Europe, and it just comes a thing over there. And you know some you know some people embrace it, some people don't. And it's just again, it's an optional extra if that's what you choose. And again, it could be for competitive reasons, it could be for safety reasons, it could be you just want someone to come and hang out with you on when you're going for a really long run. Um, totally. So yeah. No, that's a great point. I do think also there are some people who just yeah, like you said, don't use pacers because it's almost a point of pride for them of like, oh, yeah, not going to use a pacer or just, hey, it's a it's a huge ask of family, friends, etc. And they just don't want to add that extra burden, add that extra element of um, coordination and organization. Um, so you can definitely be in a race that allows pacers and not take on a pacer. Uh, but with that being said, as we are considering our race, 
what should you be looking for in a pacer? And let's take it of what you should be looking for if you're, say, going for a top spot, a podium, etc. And maybe what you should be looking for in a pacer if this is your first hundred and you are um, just getting to the finish line, which is a very amazing and admirable goal. Yeah, so that's, that's a really interesting question. I think a lot of times, often people are trying to find a pacer at the last minute. Again, we, we can we can speak to that one. Um, so it's not always... I, I, sometimes you've got people that you know and you can sort of really have a clear list of what you want and what you need and then find a perfect match, but often it's not like that. Um, in a perfect world, I guess I guess we start from, like, from the safety perspective. You want someone that's capable in the mountains or on the conditions. Generally, you want them, I think... I know we've spoken about this before, but some people would probably... One school of thought would be that they don't need to be able to run a hundred mile or be that competent because they're running a small section. As we've kind of like chatted offline before, that you still need to have a fair capability. So someone that is capable and can handle a running at a different pace, a handle a bunch of different conditions, different challenges, and still can have that capacity to support and to guide. Um, there are plenty of cases of where there's someone who's been mismatched and has someone that isn't capable and say maybe it gets colder maybe it's you know harsh conditions that say hard rock when you're at fourteen thousand feet or you know high altitude or just sketchy weather and you've got someone that can't look after themselves and they become a liability the same as any sort of outing in the back country where you've got someone that can't doesn't have that minimum standard so generally a pacer should be able to like run the distance comfortably um, be out on their feet or out without with less support comfortably um again doesn't need to be as fast as the same person because you know even when you're getting to the top top end of the sport they've run 60 miles you're jumping in for 20 in theory you know you don't need to be you know there, there is levels there and that will depend and you sort of need to guide that but it's not you know a definitive you need to be the same speed and you have to run the same distance and then you know it's is someone do you want someone that's super chatty and like, and you know, are you really scared and do you really find you have low patches? So do you need someone to build you up? Are you someone that's like, would run through rules and just gets reckless? You need someone to be like, hey, let's chill out. Let's calm down. So someone to moderate your energy. Do you want someone that just knows the course? So that someone that's like, I just need someone to guide me so I don't have to think I can switch off. Do you need someone that's really going to be on your ass about something, knowing that you're going to get cranky, you're not going to want to take food, so someone that just needs to mum you the whole time and say, take this, take this, take this, I don't care. Um, and that will depend on the race. And I've been in races where someone's like, you know, crewing for an elite athlete who said, I will get to mile 60, I will tell you who I need and, you know, all the needs of the race. So there's all these type of things there. And as you sort of take it to that elite competitive level, you want someone that's going to generally push you and look after you because there are instances when you need to push someone and get them to be running when they want to walk. You should be getting them, hey, we need to get up and go. Other times it's sort of a objective person to say like, hey, I'm pretty sure your knee's blown out and that we could finish, but is it what you want to do for the rest of your year and your career? Is it worth doing this and having that sort of objective support there or um, and being able to communicate that to crew and other people? Um, but generally from the front end, you want someone that's going to motivate you, that's going to push you, that's not going to let you just go like, oh, I'm feeling, I'm feeling tired, I want to walk. And he's like, well, you came here to race, so let's go. Um, and again, different people like different things. And I think as you sort of get into the sport and depending on the type of race, um, you know, you'll sort of guide, you have a gauge of what you need from someone. And then and another part of that, which I'm sure we'll cover, is like telling your, you know, giving your pacer and crew 
briefing in Australia. It's like, hey, I need this from you. So when I say I want to walk and I'm tired, I don't want to eat food, that's not an option for you, you know, that type of thing. So, again, it's very much a – you're choosing yeah, – I'd say the same as going out into doing like a really high alpine adventure or something with someone. You're choosing someone that's going to be a good partner for you and that's going to get you to the end safely and achieve all your goals along the way ideally and be able to adapt and do that. So – again quite a broad summary of it all but um, I guess that's the nature of the sport no that's perfect I think you touched on a couple of really key points that I'd like to expand on and I think the first one is you need someone who's capable of doing the distance and it's not a strain on them Um, I think what is underestimated is how mentally taxing pacing someone is, especially someone who's having a rough time. Um, I've done, I, I've paced before and, you know, my runners had a really rough nausea issue or uh, heat issues. And so it's like, it's taking a lot of emotional and mental energy for me to be caring for them and also making sure that I'm getting in some calories and, and, you know, have been awake the whole night. And so don't underestimate that even though the distance might feel very feasible, you are taking on significantly more, um, mental strain because you are looking after someone. And I think that that's something that's really key is like, you're not just going along on a fun little run with your friend. Like you are also very responsible for that, uh, runner. And so I would not take that lightly as a pacer. I don't take it lightly as a pacer. Um, I think the other part, and I can get into a specific story, is, um, yeah, be really clear with your pacers of how you want them to speak with you. Uh, We'll get into more specifically pre-race meetings. But there was one time, I thought this was so great, during Canyons, where I was really tired of eating, which anyone at mile 80 is just like, yeah, I'm kind of done eating. And you said to yeah. me, I, and I've said this to other people, I don't care if you don't want to eat, you can have a nice meal when you're done. This is your job, eat your food. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and you need people to tell you because you're, as you're running, you're super tired, you're super fatigued, like you're not thinking straight. And so um, that. I think it's really good. It's funny how quickly we kind of knew each other. That was exactly what I needed, that tough love in that moment. Um, And you were able to deliver that. But yeah, definitely the right thing to say at the right time. I will also add that as much as we love our significant others, our family members, etc., that can actually be really detrimental to have your partner running with you. Um, or a family member, because they are not always as good about pushing you when you need to be pushed, um, or being objective in their observations of you. Um, For example, I don't necessarily ask my partner or my family to come with pacing um, towards the end of the race, because I need someone who has a further distance from me and it's just like hey I know you that you can do this I know you're sad and tired not necessarily sad but I know you're tired and fatigued and I don't care like you need to keep going because this is the goal you have sometimes when you have someone who doesn't you know who's who's loves you is related to you etc they're not quite as good they're like oh I'm so sorry you feel bad here lay down and rest and so I think that 
it's crucial to know how who is in, who can be in key roles for you. Um, so not necessarily just the person who's going to coddle you, but the person who's going to challenge you. Yeah, there's some really good points. And I think, again, as you said at sort of the start is, whilst it's maybe you're running 20 miles with someone, if you're crewing a 100 miler and you're part of the team, you start at 5am or you're up at 3am in the, let's say Western States or Canyons, it starts, they start about, about the same time, like really early in the morning, you're up before that, you're doing all the things, you're getting to the start, you're seeing your runner leave. Western States, you're driving a ton of miles to get to really remote A stations and you're chasing them around. Canyons, there wasn't a lot of crew spots, again, very remote. So you're a lot of driving around and getting to places and bringing all your stuff down, seeing your, so you're on your feet the entire day. You're in the, you're doing with the heat, you're standing around. Often you don't get, you know, great opportunities to eat and have snacks and all those things. So you're still, whilst you're jumping in, essentially fresh to run, you've been on your feet for 10 hours, 15 hours, 20 hours. You haven't had great food necessarily. Um, you've been in the heat or in the cold. So you have to deal with that stuff. And then you're just jumping in. So you need to be after, there's a minimum standard. I think people sort of do underestimate sometimes. And another element to that is like, if I'm a pace in the race, A, it's not my race, so it's not about me. And also that means that no one cares if I'm having a bad time. My job is, I have a very much a very specific job, the same way your job's to eat your food every 20 minutes. My job's to make you work hard and do that. So if I roll my ankle, like I've run a, I've paced someone with a torn car before. It's like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. And, you know, it's if I fall over and bang my knee, it's like, keep running, keep running. It's fine. Um, you know, if, you know, I need to go to the bathroom, you're keeping running, it's all on me to manage, me or the pacer to manage themselves and put on a, a brave face and not show any of that problem because as a, you know, and I've done that before, I've had pacers, I've been sometimes worrying about them and the same reason sort of Matt Carpenter and Carl Meltzer and those people said they don't want pacers and they're, you know, done incredible things is they don't want to be worrying about someone else and even having 2% of their energy about someone that can't keep up or whatever reason, they just want to focus on them and themselves. So that's, hard thing to do when you're a not running the same pace you would normally do maybe you're running behind them maybe it's awkward maybe your legs a bit sore or maybe you're like oh, i'm just like my legs cramping now because i've you know didn't eat enough food and this person's trying to make me run up a hill or maybe i'm feeling awful but i can't tell them i'm feeling awful and you have to deal with all that stuff and that takes a lot of maturity and a lot to just keep things down there be positive say the right things and also know that that is your job and you have to run that and you know you don't really get the excuse. So and again, but I know that when I'm running and I've got a pacer, I can say whatever I want. And they're also going to tell me to stop being a baby and get on with it. So it is that distance. And again, there's examples of people where spouses and partners have been great pacers and you know, know that there's a role when it's very much, I'm not your spouse for this 20 miles. And then other times there's examples of people just, because again, we're choosing to do a really hard thing. It's a choice. We're paying money to do it. We're showing up with our goals and dreams, but things get really hard. Even if you win the race, it's always going to be hard. There's going to be efforts there and there's going to be those low points and there's always a way out. If you want to find one, there's always something to do. And, you know, we will naturally try and complain and get someone to give us some comfort and sympathy. And, you know, we've all been there where you've seen someone just, I don't want to go anymore. Like, oh, okay, it's okay. You can stop. And occasionally if it's a medical issue and then, you know, if you've had clear guidelines pre-race, you can make that call. But for the most part, it's just people letting people get away with it. You want people in your corner to go like, no, we're going to walk to the next day station. You're going to feel better. Eat some food, drink some Coke. Let's get walking. You can quit at the next day station. And then you just keep postponing that. No, that's a hundred percent true. I think one of the wisest things I was ever told um, 
John Samuelson, who started the Hurt 100, uh, told me before I ran Hurt for the first time, he said, in every 100 miler, there's always a point where your brain will tell you that you are too broken, injured, tired, etc. to keep going. And it's your job not to listen to that. And it does get better. There's definitely been hundreds where I haven't thought that. But for a lot of them, there's always that moment where you're like, eh, I don't know about this. Like, there's not like my feet are a mess. It's like, turns out your feet are fine. And so I think a pacer can be that that objective brain that's like, they're totally fine. What are they talking about? Um, so I think that that's a super key element to it. Um, yeah. So I think that one of the things we've been touching on but not fully dug into is the actual conversation you should have with someone that um, is pacing you before the race even starts. So what are the things that you tell your pacers before you actually get into the race? So me, it's always, you generally know roughly where you stand fitness-wise. You generally have your goals. Sometimes they're very aspirational and, you know, they break apart from the start, which you know, we've seen plenty of times. Sometimes you're like, okay, I've done this race before. I know this. I've run this time. This is my fitness. So you have like a rough goal of what you want to achieve in the race. I think it's really important, particularly when you get the longer races, like the 100 miles, it's like you have to have a deep why, um, which some people just choose races and they wonder why they drop. It's like, well, you've got, you're not really invested in the race. And I think you can get away with it for like marathons and 50Ks, maybe 100K, but 100 mile, you'd really need to have a reason why. So I think I always want the people around me to know why. And I sort of say like, when it gets really hard, remind me of this or like, hey, you know, so it's that again, remind me of you while you're there. I think, you know, if you've got, hey, my shin's been playing up, like conversations about things that could come up in the race and then, so this is what we're going to do, or this is how we're going to troubleshoot, or if I start doing this, this has happened the last two races, then this is what I want to do. Or if I come in looking like crap and I'm six hours behind my you know, plan time, A, B, C, these are things, or don't let me do this. Or if I sit down, you put a timer on, and after four minutes, you kick me out no matter what's happening. You know, you know, Or if I'm coming in saying that my, my leg's hurting and I've never had problems before, it's like, okay, okay, so what you're doing is we're going to medical. This is the course. So the same way, like, you would have, you know, businesses and cases have like, if this happens, this is the the system you follow in the process and that flow chart of, has this happened? Yes. Why? You have a very clear thing. So there's no surprises. There's no, oh, he's needs Tony, he can quit. It's like, no, the conversations we troubleshoot and then we do that and then it's, you know, walk it out or, you know, and you have conversations like, if my race isn't going well, this is what I'd like to hear or I don't respond to yelling. So you need to be really kind or if you're really kind with me, I'm just going to be a baby. So you need to be a real, you know, I don't want sympathy. And it's some people like you say like, Hey, you can't be nice to me. Be firm, be friendly. But if I'm being a baby, it's like, cool. What's the problem? Let's fix it. Off you go. So it's very practical things like that. Obviously things like making sure they know what kit and all those things. And, you know, and again, a lot of it, if you really have time and ideally it was, I'd, I guess if like we can use the example of, I was on a plane ride to California. I started getting WhatsApp messages on the Thursday. Um, there's a Friday morning race. Um, a friend of mine, uh, needs a pace it for the 100 miler. I'm like, okay. So that was very short term. You just signed up for the 100 miler. You jump up distance, which nobody does apparently. Um, I was on the plane over. I hadn't been running anywhere near as much as I wanted to. So it was very, but I'm, you know, I've run 100 miles. I know the area and I know a lot of the course. So it was very much, uh, I'm confident enough in this. And then it was conversations like, okay, Alyssa's aiming to podium. 
she won her last hundred miler and she's you know so i was like okay so i'm going here to work so it's not just getting a person who wants to finish their first hundred it's very much a, you're running fast and it's very competitive with those goals in mind and then i think we spoke very briefly that night sort of like you know, i think i remember i'm like do you want me to run in front of you behind you very practical things like that because some people you know, if you're running with someone there in front, you end up, they, I've seen people where the pace is all excited and runs too fast or someone just, they're running and they're, and then the next thing, like, where's their runner? They're turning around and they're running and you can't see them running eating. You don't see them drinking. So all those things. And again, I remember when I first got into the sport, I was listening to podcasts and just hearing all these things floating around. It's like, okay, so you need to have those conversations. And also I've been in a race where I've been tired and at night and, person in front of me and then you know you have those pets all those reactive headlights which will flicker and change so they cut the light off that i couldn't see then i'd like hit my toe or think i'm gonna trip so all these little nuanced things where it's like okay i personally like to be behind someone if i'm pacing so i can see them and they set the pace if they're walking i will walk if they're running up a hill or something i will run and then it's you know easier for me to occasionally you know adjust to that cadence whereas if i'm running up a hill and then you're not, then it's like, I'm leaving you behind. And then it's, you get that rhythm. You don't, you know, you don't understand those nuances, which will add up at the end of a hundred miler. Again, saying, hey, you need to eat some food. And then you watch them eat the food. It's like, have you been drinking? You get to ask those questions. So again, some people have preferences, but you try and sort that out. And then on the fly, you're figuring those things out as well. You know, I think asking questions like, what fueling are you used? What happens if that's not working? What happens when we go to A stations? Like, what are you wanting to do? So all those very practical conversations so that on the race, there's as little questions and energy getting wasted on things. And the same way if you're, again, going on a big adventure, the same way if you're going traveling with, you know, I, you know, it's the same kind of principle of let's prepare for all the eventualities so that there's, we have A, B, A plan, B plan, C plan. Like, what happens if we get there and the crew aren't there? What happens if, you know, all these things, what happens if like something major happens and, you know, or I've got this, you know, I'm allergic to bees. So if I get stung by a bee, I need to have this or like I'm asthmatic or things like that, which could be a factor if someone's diabetic or I'm, you know, allergic to this, things that come on where you're sitting there and you don't know or don't understand. I think all those things are sort of important. So it's trying to rule out all the practical things. And ideally it's a, you know, a lot of this stuff you pick up generally pretty quickly. If they're a good communicator, you know what questions to ask, but I remember we spoke for like five minutes on Thursday. We met Friday morning, had a quick chat, and then was figuring it out on the fly. But it was very much like I'm running. You know, I luckily got to sort see you. I was working at the sort of mile 15, 24. So I got to see you run in and leave. I was like, okay, that's how we're doing A stations. Got it. Um, I got to sort of understand that. But I think, you know, asking as many questions, some very basic mechanics of like, what happens when we start running? What happens when we stop? What happens, you know, if I need this? Like, how many things am I carrying? What gear will I need to have? Um, you know, is there mandatory kit? Do paces need to have mandatory kit? Like, all those things which we realized, you know, on the fly. And, you know, so what happened, What could get me disqualified? Are you allowed to mule? And, you know, one race I know allows mule, and that's Leadville, which is, you know, a throwback to the miners where they would let the mules carry their stuff. So in that one particular race... I can carry all the things for you, but any other race, that's an automatic DQ. So each race has the rules. They have, you know, Western States has it very clear stated, like when you can pick up a pacer, when you can swap a pacer, because all those things, if you haven't asked them and haven't looked at the rules, kind of all come back to it or sort of, you know, or I want to swap a pacer at X point here. So be prepared. And then, you know, the pacers need to be chatting and going in, you know, all that stuff, which comes with pre-race and then on the race as it goes on. And again, 
you're always adjusting, you're figuring things out. You're like, hey, when we come into A stations, we're always really slow here. So it's like, okay, we need to sort of figure this out or, you know, they're always asking this thing. So let's go in and ask for that thing in advance. And, you know, it's all very much just, you know, you're there to do a job and it's trying to, you know, remove as much decision-making and, and you know, it gets much troubleshooting sort of pre pre-programmed and pre-planned because, you know, because things can go wrong and things can go pear-shaped and, you know, you want that person, to, you know, want to be comfortable. That person knows what to do and knows the process and, you know, um, isn't going to let you down. Yeah. I mean, that was perfect. I think that, uh, yeah, just really strong. I, I think that the biggest thing is that, that a pacer and a runner should understand is that feelings really don't matter in the moment. So, just be as blunt and honest with communication as you possibly can, because that will remove a lot of um, potential areas for snags or holdups or uh, wasted time if you're not just direct and get the job done. Um, so I guess just a few things from personal experience, I would say, is that I will tell my pacer, hey, when I pick you up, you're going to be in charge of telling me when to eat. So I eat a spring every 40 minutes. So I immediately said, Hey, Nick, set a timer for 40 minutes. And you tell me when to eat because I stopped trusting myself as much to get that done. So that's just a really concrete thing. This is my nutrition plan. This is what I'm doing. Make me do it. Yeah. As we realized, you, you decided you didn't want to have them at the end. And I was like, no, you still have to have it. You've got 10 minutes to have it. It's like oh, fine, so you know, which goes to the point that even though you know you're supposed to do it, and like even at the top level, you still find reasons not to, and the pace still just needs to like mum you. Exactly, kick you in the butt. Uh, another thing I always try to do is I like to have my pacer tell me, "Hey, we're a mile out. What do we need done at this aid station?" And then you work with your pacer and come up with exactly what you need. I need this bottle filled with this liquid, I need a piece of watermelon, I need to use the bathroom, I need this for my crew. And so especially if you're going into a crude aid station, your pacer can text your crew beforehand and be like, have X, Y, and Z out, get a milkshake ready. Uh, you know, just make sure that um, if you can plan accordingly, if you can text uh, or have your pacer text your crew to have everything out, that's going to save a lot of time and a lot of like, what's going on and, and chaos when you come into the aid station. Um, so that's something. I'd even, so I was an, I'd add to that as well. It's often, particularly later in the race, the runner gets tired and just is less chatty and has that, they less, they're very much focused on the mission. So it's the often the pace needs to come into a station. And again, I've worked at a station. Some a stations have some of the best runners in the world, former champions. Other people have, you know, their kids volunteering. So you have a range of different people depending on the a station. So often it's frantic. Often they don't know what they're doing. They've not really run races. Sometimes they have. So you very much need to come in with clear directions. So like, Hey, we need two bottles of this and we need some of that. And then you take care of your own stuff and make sure the runner's got the stuff, make sure they don't leave gear behind, all those sort of things that you forget when you get tired, you know, putting poles away or, you know, coming in to like crew stage, like, hey, we need another headlamp. Where's the other headlamp? We're going to need that. Or we, I need, give me the jacket. She needs a jacket. That type of stuff as well because and I've been there where you get, it's harder to articulate stuff and then you forget things and you're very much not brain foggy and just like, I'm on fumes. I've got 20 miles to go. I'm just, trying to get down another spring and then eat drink some coke and get out of here so the pacer very much becomes the mouthpiece and the one in charge of the strategy and the plan and making sure that stays afloat and you know having those conversations 
each time so that you know what to do and you can very clearly communicate and get things happening because you get frantic, you stand around people sort of, you know, often if you're, particularly when you're sort of like either like away from people, you get the whole A station just descends on you and everyone's like, what do you need? And they're frantic and they're excited and very much a mismatch of energy and you often see people run off without the wrong thing or run off and forget to fill their bottles and all, all these things which can get disaster from just, you know, not, not taking 10 seconds to be direct and thoughtful and, you know, Perfect. Yeah, it's so vital that you get what you need from an aid station. And it can be so overwhelming. Like there's lights and music and people talking. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, my family's there. Oh, my friend is there. And you run out with nothing you need. So making like definitely making sure your pacer knows your plan. Um, And the other thing I think you made a great point is the positioning of where your pacer is. So I had a pacer during Moab 240. Love the kid. But he ran about... 15 feet, 10 to 15 feet in front of me for, it was like mile 200 or no, sorry, mile like 170 to two something. And him being 15 feet ahead of me was really demoralizing where I was like, oh my gosh, like, why is this guy just running 10 to 15 feet in front of me and not waiting for me? And like, we can't talk and I feel just like disconnected. And so I told him, to stop doing that but i think that uh that's just a really good point i actually think behind is probably the best place to be uh, because unless you you actively say to someone hey go in front of me and make me try to run with you but if you are ahead of someone you have to be really cognizant of where your runner is and how close they are because you can kind of demoralize them without realizing it if you are just kind of hovering that like douchebag distance ahead of them um yeah <laughs> yeah i think as well on that note it's quite important like i remember races where like tiny things sort of like take you off the game so i, I was very conscious when there was when i was running with you obviously i'm tall and have long legs so there's sections where it'd be a bit steeper and i could hike it and you'd be running as like, i could i would say like i get two steps and i have to start running just because if you start to hear a different cadence it can throw you off i would you know i eat little things like if I'm in, say it's a hundred miler and the markers are doing mile markers, I change my watch to miles. If it's kilometers to kilometers. And then I always try to make sure my watch doesn't beep because I've been in a hundred mile before and hearing beep. And then I'm like, I thought we've run like four miles. It's like, and you get in your head and it's just irrational. And you start, you know, you try and do math and it just drives you up the wall and like tiny little things like that can really throw you off. And again, like if you've got someone running in front of you who's right there and, you know, it cuts off your light and then you can't see the rocks, you don't like because you're tired, you're not very cognizant anyway. All these little things can really throw out of a race. And again, part of it's your job to communicate and change things up. And the pacer's role is to like be self-aware. And again, I would, my default is always to position behind. And I think a lot of the you know early days, people would say, by default, go behind. And, you know, particularly if it's not a lot of space on the trail and at not, not, uh, dark and at night, it's very much you need to be able to like monitor them and you know ask them questions and also if you're behind them you can uh, you can either like just talk and feel the air or ask them questions engage how they're feeling and what they're doing as well so there's very much little tactics with that because you know we what we spent seven hours on the trail six and a half of that was me telling you why you should run western states um there were definitely like points where it was back and forth there was points where it's like i'm just going to talk and sort of 
you know, just remind you, we're here and we're moving. Other times it was sort of a bit of, I think when we were climbing up after the river, that, that road climb was a bit broke. We both kept on seeing the moon and think it was an aid station. But, you know, you have to manage that and know when sometimes it's like, hey, you just need to shut up or we're working. Or sometimes you need to like, hey, I just need to talk stuff and be very light and just keep that momentum going and um, that energy's there. And, that, you know, that comes with running with them and not walking when they're running and, you know, all those little things that can throw you off your game. And I think, you know, watches beeping or, you know, and some people are like, hey, I'll play some music out of my phone. And that's a tactic as well. So there's all those little things that can really add percentages or remove percentages of your capacity to run the race and, you know, again, there's reasons for all those reasons why some people don't want pacing because they don't want someone to be in their way or chatting them. And then there's equally races where having someone there just when you're in a really low spot, just talking crap about why you should run Western States just gets you moving along and pointing out that tree there or that point where um, that, our mutual friend thought she saw a giraffe and, you know, all those fun things. So, Definitely. But again, it's very much the is very much a job and it's you know as you sort of said there like it is fun and pacing's pacing is fun it's a great adventure but it's very much a privilege and you know i always take pacing very seriously and treat it almost more more importantly than a race because it's it's someone else's livelihood like life at risk and then if they have a bad race and you know for me you know not taking it seriously or not looking after myself and they you know have to worry about me and whatever reason and yeah awesome well the last few things that we want to touch on are one of the, it's kind of funny aspects of it. I think it's always one of a pacer's greatest concerns, uh, but also I don't think a runner is ever actually truly disappointed when it happens because it means that maybe your race is going pretty well. But Nick, what happens if you drop your pacer? So... For those that don't know what that means, I'm sure most people do, but dropping your pacer is essentially when your runner is just flying or your pacer is having a really bad time or maybe a bit of both, and then they run off and the pace is left by themselves um, during the race. So that does happen. Um, I can think, when was it? Western States two years ago where I think Jeff Browning and a few other people were running from like the river and just dropping their paces like it was hot. Um, who else was there? Well, Katie just Pat dropped Reagan. It was just demolition. Katie dropped Topher in Western this year. Yeah, pretty sure. So yeah, so dropping paces happens particularly late in because when you're like so zoned in and just going for it. Sometimes the pace is not, and there's plenty of situations like maybe the pace hasn't had a chance to eat their food or whatever reason. But so dropping a pace for whatever reason, whether the runner's doing really well or the pace is really struggling or wherever that sits on the scale, in most races, it's expected that the pacer is managing themselves. Um, the expectation is that the pacers can self assist, and if they get stuck out there, that they can get out themselves and. Again, some other races, like I think you said Candice's race, the 200-mile-plus races, purely because it's a safety thing and there's such a huge area to cover, um, you're not allowed to drop your pacer. Your pacer is supposed to be with your runners so that you're you're tied together. Um, and that's very much a safety factor because there's huge stretches of uh, land and places that are very inaccessible. The pacer often won't have a GPS or the tracking on them, so that if they go off course, it's very hard to get them out. And then it's just wasting resources because most races, at the best of times anyway, can really only cater to the runners. So, which goes back to what you we were saying earlier about the pacer needs to be competent. But 
in the sort of 100 miles like Western States, if you drop your pacer, they can walk to the next aid station and then wait to get lift out or get to where the crew point is. Um, generally, my perception is if I'm running and I'm dropping my pacer, that's a good thing. It's a confidence boost and um, that. Um, ideally, the pacer doesn't want to be put in a situation where they've, you know, and again, I think there's a famous story of Ian Charming getting dropped by maybe Timmy Olsen because he had food poisoning or something. And you get weird situations where something like that could happen. But for the most part, um, you know, you, you really hope your pace is there. But their job is very much if they get dropped and know that they could get dropped. And I, I very much said, like, well, I haven't run 33 miles for a while. So if I'm going to get dropped, it's like, well, it's fine because she'll be doing well and she'll be going on to win. So I came in with that. I think most people would kind of ideally expect that their runner would just go on and continue without them. But, um, you know, outside of, let's say, a bear attack or something very crazy happening in the race, you generally want your runner to crack on and keep going. So, um, and I've like fallen over before and said, kept running. I think even at, you know, right at the end of Canyons where we almost got demolished by the 100K start oh and then I had to go <laughs> try and pick up the bottle. Then I started crafting. I'm like, I'm just going to let it go. And, you know, it was like, you know, we're just at the white bridges. Like, well, I'm gonna let her, I was gonna let you run into town anyway, so it was one of those things. But I think very much it goes back to what's in the rules, um, where you can change pace and that. And it's very much that you know your pacer should be you know confident enough that they can figure figure it out themselves. And you know, I wouldn't really be wanting to go with someone that you know, if in a twenty mile section that they can't sort themselves out and just even walk it out. Um, you know, or, you know, at very least go like, hey, if there's someone else goes past, say, look, I'm just walking out. Can you just let them know? But um, again, the 200 mile races have rules for that for a very, you know, again, for the safety, because they don't want to waste resources on finding someone that's not even in the race and doesn't have a tracker and all that. So again, if you're, if I was a pacer and a little bit unconfident and particularly in like a remote area or something, I would have my phone with me. I take extra things. I have, you know, an extra jacket thing. So that if I was, stuck for a little bit that i could manage myself and get out and you know or if it's in the heat you know you have you know space bank or whatever you need to do to make yourself feel confident but then again that goes back to our earlier question choosing the right person someone that you know if you're flying and you leave them behind it you don't have to worry about them um the same way that if you're in a pretty gnarly situation out in the mountains whether you're climbing or something you want to have someone you know that if something goes wrong that they're capable to do what they need to do so Absolutely. But again, always read the rules, always check the things, always have those conversations. And I, I think I think I've had them for like, if this happens, just keep going. And I'm pretty sure I said it too, like just keep going. So again, basic communication, which is, you know, part and parcel of just any outdoor adventure, whether it's a race or not. Totally. Yeah, and I think that one of the things to take note is we'll use the two hundred milers, for example, is that um, every race has a limited amount of resources. And so as a pacer, it's kind of a do no harm situation. Obviously things happen, you break your ankle or sprained or whatever. Um, uh, but you really, you want to try to minimize the extra strain that you're placing on the race itself. Um, and again, as Nick, you've been kind of hammering, make sure you know the rules. Um, I think that oftentimes we're like, Oh, we'll just jump at the race. And then you realize, like, hey, with the with Candace's races, you can't be dropped or you need to carry mandatory kit. And um, really, again, with the pacer, it's like your job is to help your runner do the best they're capable of doing. And so anything that you can do, any homework, 
yes, ultimately you are the runners, like the runners should take responsibility for you, but also you want to do your homework and do your job. Like I know Candace has a whole manual for pacers and crew. Um, so if you have a manual, make sure that you like runners, make sure that your pace and crew have that information and pace and crew take it seriously. Um, Cause that can be the difference of someone possibly getting disqualified and that would really suck. Yeah. And I think Candace is a good example of why it's important to go through and read and understand everything because I was flying in. I had no, no plans to pace at all. I thought I was just working a station, having fun, for some reason, I packed all my lighting, extra gear, and this arrived. And then, so we were chatting. It's like, yeah, I'll have two paces, and you do one section. Then, I think it was really late at night. I was just going, I'm just going to read everything because I like to know that. I like to know I'm comfortable, and I don't want to do anything that upsets my runner. And, you know, it was all last minute, and I just wanted to feel comfortable. So, reading through, it's like, okay, you're only allowed to, the pace has to start and finish that 33 mile section. You can't change them. And then it's like the pace has to have the same mandatory kit that the runner has, which was a whole bunch of things, which I guess by being a, by UTMB race, they added that on there. So, which is not normally the case at hundred mile races in, you know, where you're allowed to have a pacer. Generally there's no mandatory kit at all. So that was a, an anomaly and particularly being out at Western States, which runs on much of the same course and is very much a pace that's need to sign their bib. There's lots of opportunities and it's very quite easy race to pace. I think there's, you know, other than the no muling rule, it's pretty easy to do. So uh, reading through all those rules and very clearly making sure I had every single element of that so that, again, knowing that if you got first and they decided to check your stuff and check my stuff, that just because I didn't have a hat, you wouldn't get DQ'd or get a time penalty or something because that's, you know, we've done all the work and the, the job is the job to be have everything perfectly dialed. And even little things like if you're running through A stages, like if you take something off and forget it, and then that's on you. And if we need to be making sure that your runner has all their stuff at all times and then knowing where you can change and where you can get crew access, which is all, every race has it very clearly labeled. Western States has an entire page for crew and paces. Most other races very clearly state everything and what you need to do. And for me, that's the minimum standard. If you're pacing, you take two minutes to read the book, double check everything. If you have questions, speak to them and then just make sure that everyone's on the same page because I could have very easily just, again, I came straight from an A station. I had to run up a hill. We barely got food. I pounded an In-N-Out burger, had a Red Bull and then pretty much started pacing you. And I didn't, like, I was in such a rush. I only had the mandatory gear. I didn't have a jacket. I didn't have anything for after the race. But I was like, as long as I'm fine in the race and the list is good, that's all I cared about. And it was just... You know, very much that is, you know, crewing and pacing. You're running around and things happen. And if you don't have all those things pre-done and checked, then you can just get, you know, it can save you a whole lot of trouble. And again, I would, you know, you wouldn't, you'd hate to finish a race and get DQ'd. And that has happened to races where people have been, I think, Xavier at Hard Rock, again, getting crew at the wrong point and like literally getting a sip of water or something. But um, that was, that resulted in a DQ where he technically finished a race in first. Um, so... Yeah particularly the high level, um, or even even if you're like just trying to finish the race, you'd just be gutted to get randomly checked and DQ'd because your pace had forgot something. Definitely. And as you can hear, Nick is an A++ pacer because he was catching things that I was missing because I was last minute deciding to run 100 miles. So thank you, Nick, for saving my ass on a lot of those pieces. Um, uh, oh, very Nick, if you want an A++ pacer, Nick's your guy. And I have to still repay the favor. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> 
are there any last tips or things you're like, hey, this is a trick I use when pacing or go to that you found kind of universally work? Um, I think we've covered most things. I think it's what like, yes, there's a whole, like we covered a lot of responsibility and things that, you know, on the face or you may seem like a whole lot of pressure and stress, but I think pacing is really fun. You get to be part of someone else's journey. You get to help them achieve a goal. Often that's the, you might not be ready to run a hundred mile, but you've, you know, you're a competent runner. You want to run one. So you're going to pace someone. Um, there's been people that sometimes really need a pacer and wouldn't have finished the race without one. So it's, such a joy it's such a privilege like we had a great time out there i got worked really hard you know we had fun being competitive as well you know we had great chats at the end with you know um you know people like alex who race really hard and like there's a lot of camaraderie around that as well and yes you need to read the rules there's all this pressure but it's really fun and it's an opportunity to you know be part of someone else's race and give back to the sport particularly if you race a lot as well and you have people who are all there for you it's really you know it's a fun part and i think yeah choose the right pacer make sure you're fit make sure you can do all the things you need to do and you know take it seriously but at the same time it is a privilege it's great fun um you know you're part of the fabric of the community and it's a it's a special thing because you don't get paces in other races so you know it's a it's a fabric of the sport and i think everyone should you know be involved with it's volunteering or crewing and pacing um as well as going to races and you know I guess my final thing is, um, do you have any sort of standout memories of any race where you've been A, a pace or had a pace of there? Um, and I'll sort of give you a bit of time to think and say, I remember my Western States and like climbing up Roby Point, you were 24 hours, like just outside 24 hours, but seeing the sunrise again and um, just really magical moment, sharing that with my pace and going like, hey, we didn't get sub 24, but we've had a fun time and like we're done. We're, we're up Roby, we're done. And just watching that and, you know, like a moment again, as we've talked about before, is that if you pay someone in you know for a hundred mile, you get a very special bond, and I think that's the most important thing um, out of you know to take away from all of this is like it's you know we we met that day, um, you know, got seven hours compression friendship experience, and you know we've become really close friends and you know adventure partners since that, and that's just come out, and I've got I can say that with a whole bunch of other people, and you know that's very common when you speak to people that have like had races in those, like remember that time at that race. And, you know, so uh, do you have any standout pacing memories or pacing or being paced? Yeah. So I think honestly, when we were at the bottom of Roby point and I said, Nick, I think I'm <laughs> fucking going to win a UTMB world major. And you were like, shut your face. <laughs> You're not there yet. <laughs> that was a great moment. Um, so that was, that was super special. And then I think getting to hug your pacer at the end of the race is such a great part, uh, from a pacing perspective. Um, I think just, I've had, I've paced quite a few times and I think just getting to share the experience, I think oftentimes we forget that sometimes the race that we need the most is not actually our own race and we can be really inspired and motivated by helping others achieve their goals. Um, I know I've certainly been brought to tears more than once by watching someone else's race um, become and see them become a new person in a way at a finish line. Uh, so those are some really special moments. Nick personally has inspired me. I, I race quite a bit. 
Uh, I take a lot of resources from other people. So I'm calling October the month of my helping others month of pacing and crewing. And hopefully I can return the favor for Nick uh, at, at a race coming up soon. So, yeah, thanks so much, Nick, for joining. This has been a ton of fun. I think we could talk all day about these, the silly sport and the shenanigans of running. Yeah, you need to get your golden ticket to Western so I can pay you for that. We'll try our best. Thailand uh, might be on the radar. We'll see. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Nick. Let's do it. Cool. Thank you for having me. Hi, everyone. So we have moved on to our part two of pacing and crewing in our trail running training series. So we are joined here today to talk about crewing with my husband, Cody Clark. And this is our first in-person episode, actually the first in-person episode I've ever done for a podcast. So I'm pretty excited to get this one started and the fact that I'm actually married to him. So Cody, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Oh, well, Glad to have you. Glad you could be here today. Mm. Um, first of all, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, of your background in mountain sports, and then also your experience with crewing. Oh, big question. Okay. So first and foremost, I am obviously the husband of the wonderful Alyssa Clark, the co-host of this podcast. Uh, second off, I'm a naval officer and I work in um, engineering and diving and salvage for the Navy. And I would say my, um, I'm pretty much a amateur at all the mountain sports. I like to do them all, but I'm not very good at any one of them. Uh, but I like to dabble, uh, for crewing. I think I've basically crewed Alyssa for almost every race, except for maybe one, uh, the 50 miler you did before we met. And then ever since the first time you did the hurt 100, I've been pretty much involved in all of them in some way or shape or form, whether that's on a computer following your track and coordinating using like cell service and internet or in-person crewing and coordinating people's pacing efforts. That's definitely true. I will actually say that Cody, five months into us starting to date, uh, volunteered or was voluntold uh, that he was going to help me crew for my first hundred, which was the Hurt 100. And he stayed up for 30 plus hours. He was there at every aid station. He popped the blisters on my feet, carried me to bed, got me pizza. And I was telling one of my friends a couple days later about all that he'd done. And she said, if you don't marry him, I will. <laughs> so I knew uh, pretty quickly that anyone who was as selfless as he was crewing and as good at it as he is, uh, was definitely a keeper. So um, I've kept him as my crew chief uh, since this is pretty early on. But let's get into it, Cody. Um, first of all, what is the primary role of a crew? I mean, we've been throwing this around, but what is a crew for an ultra or trail run? Man, I don't know. I guess for the rest of the world, it probably feels like logistics management specialists. Like you're just kind of coordinating the logistics behind the effort the running effort. So I would say like you try to remove all the decision-making from the person running and all the worries and the concerns of the person running so that they literally only have to focus on putting one foot in front of each other. Um, sometimes it takes a level of anticipation and perhaps knowing the person pretty well, but 
as far as I know, there's been some reasonably successful runners out there who have had a random person crew them, maybe not multi-day stuff, but yeah, you got to kind of know your person and know what their goals are and uh, try to manage the logistics for them. Definitely. And I mean, just the nitty gritty of it, a crew person is someone who's driving the car to the aid station. They're popping the blisters. They're bringing you snacks. When you say, oh my gosh, the only thing I want right now is a milkshake. They go to McDonald's 30 minutes away and bring you back a milkshake. And they make sure that you have all of the gear that you need. And they often are coordinating if you have a pacer. Um, So the crew person's kind of your personal helper, we'll say. Personal assistant. assistant. Um, It's really disappointing when the race ends and you realize your personal assistant is gone. But uh, yeah, they just basically handle all of the logistics while you are actually running to ensure that you have a smooth and as good of a race as possible. So along those lines, how big should your crew be? And then how do you delegate within that? And what is a crew chief? Mm, Okay. So I'll start probably in reverse order. The crew chief is the one kind of making the decisions on the crew. And sometimes as the crew chief, you have, for instance, this is more particular in a race like Moab, like a multi-day race where there's multiple pacers. It's kind of like a bigger event going on than just like a continuous run. And I say just continuous, very tongue in cheek, you know, a 24 hour straight run is, is very hard, but for something like Moab, you have to have like multiple pacers you're driving, you're driving 200 something miles. Um, so the crew chief is going to be the one be coordinating the efforts of all four of those people. And it's pretty easy for me being in the military and doing some of the things I do, just being able to like coordinate little small teams and everyone kind of doesn't typically know that somebody just needs to take charge and make a decision um, instead of just allowing everybody to come up with their own plan on their own. So it's, it's really easy when you have the background that I have to just kind of walk into a situation and be like, here's the plan. Okay. Does my plan suck? Does anybody have any recommendations? Nope. All right, great. That's what we're going to do. And we're just going to keep on adjusting as we go. Um, as far as your like team, like I think, I mean, Alyssa has had some pretty good success with just me being a crew I don't always pace, can't always keep up with Alyssa. Um, I have to well, wait till, like for Moab, I had to wait till she was like 120 miles in and then I could pace her or something like that. Um, but yeah, I'd say like the, the crewing, the crew the crew can be as big as the race is. And also, also sometimes, sorry, there is an aspect of just having like your friends around. So I think sometimes Alyssa has had like her friends meet her at stops not necessarily being the crew, but just like being there and being fun and engaging. And that can really lift morale. Definitely. But I think one of the most important things as Cody is alluding to is that a crew chief is someone who is making the ultimate decisions because as a runner goes further and further into a race, the less and less they're able to make those decisions. So if you have, I don't know, three, four, five people who all have differing opinions, you have to have someone who is the ultimate like this is decision maker. Yeah. Decision maker. And the other aspect of it is that oftentimes a crew chief is not necessarily pacing because having one continuous person throughout, um, it's better for them not to pace because they can be tracking the whole bigger picture, um, rather than the pacers who sometimes are just seeing like bits and pieces of what's happening. 
Yeah. I mean, that's true. And again, like you can't bring up my experience enough, like in the military, just like being the guy who's like the supervisor never actually has their hands on the material or the equipment. They're just kind of watching from afar, making sure that every piece is laying where it needs to go. Um, yeah. Yeah. So off of these lines, and I will say that I do think with choosing how big your crew should be is that there is such thing as too big. Uh, that's Cody brought up a great point with having friends. It's great to have friends there, but sometimes friends, A, might have that much experience with ultra running. And so they might end up kind of not realizing that like what you need at the time. And so they can be somewhat distracting. So you need to have a few really core dedicated people who for the most part know what they're doing. I mean, they understand ultras or at least you've sat down and really worked with them. Like I've had a couple of friends where we've had meetings beforehand and we literally just sit down. We're like, okay, this is what a crew does. This is what an ultra race is. And making sure that you have people who are really invested in reading the rule book in taking the time to understand what they need to do because also crews can get runners disqualified if you don't play by the rules of the race. Yeah. Um, so that's super key. Yeah. I would say that you really got to know, well, you got to know of the people that you're going to have as your crew or your pacers, because I guess it's like climbing. There's probably a lot of climbers on the podcast listening to. So, you know, you, you rarely ever like, you know, day one step out into the Alpine with somebody you like kind of usually like, maybe start a sport climbing day or you start like, you know, a hike day before you take on like some sort of huge endeavor. But, you know, I have seen quite a few times crewing around Alyssa and the people around Alyssa running, which I don't know why, but almost every single time I've crewed Alyssa, I end up like crewing like other people around her, which is always like fun. And we've made some good friends like Killian Korth that way, which is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, like you have these people who, invite either their family or like a friend or like a spouse that or a significant other that's trying to crew them and they're like oh man i don't really know what to do like he just told me to show up or they just told me to show up with this bag of snacks and i'm like oh that's great like what's in the bag of snacks like have they been eating a lot have you been counting the wrappers counting the calories they've been giving back to you like do you have any ideas on what they're taking for nutrition and you know two bottles is one electrolytes is the other one water what do you what's the plan I don't really know. So sometimes it's, uh, you know, just giving tidbits out to other people from my experience, which is an important part to say right now that uh, crewing Alyssa Clark is not the normal crewing experience for everyone out in the racing world. Like it, what I probably do for her um, and what she is trying to do in the race and her goals is probably different than what a lot of people are trying to do out in a race. So, you know, we might have slightly differing strategies between us and the general public. Yeah, I think it's always good. And that goes to the next point that I was actually going to make is understanding what your runner's goals are. So I highly recommend that you have a pre-race meeting with your crew. Uh, I mean, that's almost like essential, whether it's a Zoom meeting, whether it's in person, whether it's the night before the race, so that you can go over, like I'll have sheets written out of like, this is exactly what my plan is. This is what I am giving you to bring to every aid station. These are the times that I'm expecting to be there. Cody always rechecks them and tells me I'm incorrect. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely do the So another, uh, core, our friend Corey, he, he said he never writes down his paces. And I was like, that's insane. I don't know how you could ever do that. And then Alyssa will write down her paces and I'll be like, this is insane. These are not achievable at all. Like what the hell are you thinking? 
Um, not, not like to the set, like, you know, sometimes you don't take it, you forget to take into account the elevation of the certain section or, or the technicality of the trail in that certain section. You just kind of base it off mileage. So yeah, definitely meeting with your crew beforehand and maybe having somebody else do a sanity check. Um, if you couldn't guess, I could be a little bit nitpicky on things sometimes. So it's kind of nice to have somebody who's a little bit more in the details of, um, picking apart a plan, check your plan which may seem annoying to the runner, but overall I think helpful. Yeah, it definitely is. It's good to have someone. I've had a lot of success with military people crewing me. Uh, They really tend to look at the small details and just be really on. Um, I realize not everyone has that, uh, that choice or that luxury, Mm -hmm. but definitely having a crew chief that's really detail oriented and is really invested. Um, and back to that that pre-race meeting, you really want to go over expectations, goals, your plan. Multiple goals. Yeah, multiple goals. Like you want to say, like, my goal A is to, like, finish within a certain time. My goal B is to not get timed out by the race. Yeah. And my goal C is, like, maybe, like, not get injured. And, like, knowing where we're at during the race, being like, hey, goal A is no longer achievable. Like, that's okay. We, we have two other goals we can still meet. Yeah. Yeah. And also going through your nutrition plan, going through like, Hey, I'm supposed to hit this aid station at 8 PM. That means I need to, if I'm not already carrying a headlamp, I need my headlamps charged. I need Mm. my clothing for nighttime. Um, so it's really key that they have your gear plan, your nutrition plan, your pacing plan, especially with bigger races. Like when you're getting into the 200 plus we're talking multiple nights, Um, And that goes also back to the whole thing of like your crew is doing things. Well, I guess we'll get to that. But like your crew is also doing a bunch during the day when they're not um, actively with you. Like they're charging your headlamp. They're charging um, maybe your watch. If you're like taking a nap or something, they're getting you food. You know, there's so many other pieces. Um, Yeah. That speaking of headlamps, one of the biggest mistakes I've seen a lot of people make is give the person, the runner, a headlamp the station before they think they're going to need a headlamp the amount of times i've seen people come in in the dark freaking out because they didn't think they need a headlamp this early just give them the lightweight one stuff it in their pack and maybe not even tell them about it but they can pull it out later yeah so when you are going to crew someone hopefully the runner has all of the things that they need but how do you pack for being a crew member? How do you prepare and make sure that you don't get super run down? Yeah, I guess it's probably easier from like the typical mountaineering mindset where like I almost always have like my layering system, like, you know, a down jacket, a waterproof shell, some pants, some shorts, maybe uh, typically if I'm, if I'm not running, you know, a pair of socks that are good. But, um, how I'm packing, I think for you ends up being like way more important. The other thing that, um, obviously for myself, if I'm not comfortable and okay, then it's hard to take care of somebody else. So I guess in that nature, if that's where we're going after, then, you know, don't be afraid to bring an umbrella, the umbrella, the Alpine umbrella, I think is a very <laughs> underutilized idea. And I'm saying it now. And I think some companies should make them, um, bringing that keeping dry when you're out there so that you can like perform better and not have like cold hands. Like when the runner comes in to help them change their shoes or socks is pretty important. Um, I, not everybody has these kind of luxuries. I understand, but like, and depending on the race style, 
But like, if you're typically flying to a race, like you rent a car, perhaps renting the van that you can like take the seats out of, or like a minivan that you can lay all the seats down where there's like this little like dry enclosed area that the person can crawl into is could be helpful. Um, or you yourself to take or, a nap. Or, or you're, yeah, totally. Like I'm pretty ragged at the end of these things. Um, so taking my, a nap myself when I can is pretty helpful. Um, or, or like simple things like setting up those little like pop-up tents you can buy at Walmart for like 20 bucks just to keep the sun off you. People don't understand like the sun will absolutely zap you of energy. So just getting one of those little $20 pop-up tents at, you know, Walmart to like set up the, you know, four post tent so that there's something to block the sun off you while you're waiting for your runner to come in for your runner to come in and be able to like sit down, either be, you know, uh, stay out of the rain for a second or stay out of the wind and, um, and sun for a second can be super helpful mid race. Definitely. And also making sure that you're hydrating, that you're eating food, even if it's not like the highest quality food, just make sure you're getting calories down because chances are, if you're crewing for a longer race, you're going to be sleep deprived and you need calories. You probably mm. need caffeine to keep going. And I'm a big fan of there's no such thing as good calories and bad calories. There's only calories. So hit that McDonald's up all you want and keep eating. Fair enough. <laughs> so crewing, I think is like, oh my gosh, we're going to get to this at the end, but I feel like you see some crazy things while you are out crewing someone. What should you be prepared for when you agree to, mm. to sign up? Absolute breakdowns. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, Luckily, I don't have to deal with them that often for myself, but I see people come in just like, like they just like ran through a battlefield, like just, just absolutely destroyed physically, emotionally, um, sometimes physically just so sick and like vomiting and it can be a pretty rough scene. Um, it can hurt if it's your significant other that you're like watching go through this and you kind of like want to pull the plug on them, but they don't want to. I, I personally luckily have not had to deal with that too much um but yeah you you see a lot of like not a lot of like blood or broken bones or anything that i've seen during a race but you definitely see a lot of just like people and just like internal pain that you like just can't describe but you kind of know what they're going through and you really want to help them and like deep down inside you're like you know if you just like you know rest a little have a little water relax like you probably get back out there and do this thing that you train for months to do so I, yeah i mean like in the rare race i like talked to a couple people into like just sticking with it for a little bit just because like you know they just needed to relax for a minute you know the aid stations are there for you to relax and hang out and have some food you did that for me at yeah. ura yeah i did actually and <laughs> yeah, you were having a quite a but a moment at one of the aid stations. Yeah. Do you remember what you told me? Mm, have some dignity. I think <laughs> that's what I said. Yeah. He said, you're doing fine. Have some dignity. Slow down and keep going. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's fair. Again, unique experience. She was in first and she was like, I'm terrible. I'm having miserable, miserable time. I'm like, well, you're in first. So why don't you slow down a little bit and try to enjoy the race a little bit more? And so we, uh, you know, walked for a little while and then, uh, turns out her appetite came back and she was able to eat and drink and she was fine afterwards. Shocking. Yeah. Yeah. 
a voice of reason. It probably is. Actually, yeah. yeah. Never mind. Crewing's all about just being a voice of reason. For some reason, they. You ever heard like the uh, the old adage that like as soon as you step in front of a bunch of people and start speaking, your like IQ drops like a bunch. Like, it's, like oh, actually, I haven't heard that one. Yeah, like I forget. There's like actually like a more fun saying than what I just said in explaining it. But like as soon as they step off the starting line, <laughs> their IQ drops like fifty points. <laughs> And so it's like all they can think about is like finishing, you know, the time that they wanted or the place that they wanted. And in reality, it's just like, okay, why don't we just like slow down and eat some food and you'll probably still finish in that time. But what you're doing right now is like not helping you. That's a gem right there. That's that's definitely a good one. Um, I can attest that it's like you go into primal mode where you're just like, must finish race, must keep going, must beat head against wall even and, further. And this is why I have no interest in doing ultras. Oh, you've done a couple. <laughs> You'll, you're doing one of your own making later on in the year. Um, what would you say if you could give a new crew person your top three to four key tips what would they be okay wow (laughs) put you on the spot yeah okay i don't know if i can break them down to three or four or five but first things first is just have a pack in pack out system so like have a system like i personally use like a mil like a military style yeah i know uh flip open flat type bag so like basically i show up at the spot i lay down at tarp or a um, moving pad so like you know there's some dry area that's put her feet on open the flap uh, put the put that down open the bag down and then open it up completely and i lay out the things so that she can see everything available to her so a lot of people just bring like a duffel bag full of shit and they don't really know like what's in it and then they forget because it's mile 99 of the 150 mile race that they're doing so putting it all out there so they can see what they have in the bag and being able to choose kind of like, like a, like a candy bag is I think helpful instead of like trying to make the decision. Like, this is what I think I want. This is what I think I have visually seeing it and be like, that's what I need right now. And that includes extra socks, extra shoes, extra clothes. Like I personally would never think I would want an extra set of clothes during a race, but Alyssa changes her clothes all the time. Um, Not in 100 milers, in 100 plus. Yeah. It depends. Yeah. Uh, Over 20 hours. Like those, like, like Burt's Bees facial wipes. You oh, yeah. Come out like a new person after using one of those. That's true. Brushing your teeth. Yeah. That I don't understand, but she <laughs> loves to brush her teeth mid race. I don't get <laughs> that, that at all. Um, so that's probably thing I would recommend one. It also helps you be organized because you know where everything is. Yeah. That is true, but, but that's just like another neurotic thing. Like you have to like know everything where, where everything is and ready to go. Cause I've seen it before. People come up with like those, like, you know, black hole Patagonia duffel bags, like 150 liters and it's full of God knows what, whatever the person put in there. Luckily we live together. So like when we pack, we probably like do it together or plan together or I've seen it enough times that I kind of know what's in there. But like, they'll be like, Hey, in that bag, there's like this, like one little goo gel I like at the bottom and this one weird, like recovery Ziploc bag and the person looking through it has never seen it before has no idea what they're talking about and they're just digging through a bag looking for this well, and it's so like that's, and it's like in a different duffel bag this whole time yeah so that's my tip 
personally for a runner, especially I've had a couple of other people crew me when Cody wasn't able to go. And it is your job to have everything extremely well labeled. Like everything, if you are bringing a duffel bag, should have be in some kind of a compartment or some kind of a bag or something labeled and you should go over where every single thing is with your crew the night before like yeah. i'll sit down with my crew and open my bag and be like this is here this is here this is here this is labeled and they're like oh my gosh that's so helpful and so like make your crew's job easy for them like mm -hmm. do not make it harder yeah no it, that, that makes sense for some for like somebody that's not used to it or new person to the game like those ziploc baggies with a sharpie can save and you can use them for years yeah like, like we have the same ones from like you know 2018 yeah. yeah and it's pretty easy to just label something and i guess you know the seconds you save is not that important but being able to actually find it you know without the person getting so anxious that they just want to leave the station is like a pretty big win in comparison to like the other version where like all they want is this one thing and they get so anxious that they have to leave the aid station. Yeah. Um, the other thing I would say is uh, it's a great tactic that I, I wish I used more with Alyssa, but is collecting all the wrappers every single time. Sometimes you have a pacer. Usually their job is to take all their wrappers um, after they eat, if it's allowed, I guess. Um, but be, so you can count what they ate in calories um Alyssa, some people will like hide that they're not eating because they just want to keep going and they're not like oh i tend to tell you i just like don't do anything about it yeah. i'm better now um but like yeah some people like you know like oh i'm eating fine and then they're like okay give me the wrappers of what you ate and then they give you like one goo gel and like a 20 mile stretch and you're like well yeah not eating fine like just not possible for you to be eating fine right now um, so that's the time to keep them at the aid station, not let them leave until their appetite picks back up. And then you make them eat a quesadilla or like a potato or whatever else, the weird crap that they have. Also pro tip for being a crew, you get your runner a bunch of stuff that they're not going to eat and then you eat it. Okay. Eat it. As long as you're careful about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We don't want to use resources from the aid station, but I'm sure that you'll, your runner will be like, oh yeah, I want this, this, and this. And then. Yeah. That means they want, them. let's, yeah, I guess it's not a plan. It's more like they say they want all these things. They take one bite of the things they say they want, and then you end up eating them. Yeah. Cause you can't give them back. You can be the vacuum cleaner for the uh cody's other nickname is the trash panda so yes he uh does a good job when i take when i think a quesadilla sounds great and i take one bite of it and then you can't really return a one bitten quesadilla <laughs> back to the aid station they don't like that so much yeah um awesome so the last thing i want to ask you as more of a fun story or fun memories what has been your funniest or most insane crewing experience or moment that you can remember or favorite? Wow. I actually have no idea what my most favorite is. Um, man, I, I really don't know. I guess perhaps when, it's probably a couple probably. And it's always like when you secure the victory, like, which is obviously not everyone's 
But you secure the goal that yeah. the runner wants. We'll so say. I feel like it's always like something along the lines of, oh, like the person or like the thing we were worried about is over. And it's just basically as long as you don't get hurt, you're going to meet your goal. So that's happened in Moab. That happened in the FKT for Pinhoti. Those are pretty big, pretty big multi-day events that I really enjoyed. Canyons, like apparently it was a big race. I didn't know that at all. And I was just not there because I was in a special school that I needed to be in and just following along as much as I could online. And that was awesome when I found out that you went, that you wanted. And all of a sudden it was like a entry fee to or entry to the UTMB race in France. So that was pretty cool. And that was like kind of fun surprise. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think a lot of times it's it's fun. It's not fun in the beginning when the person's running their first 100, first 200 or whatever. Like watching Alyssa finish the Hurt 100 in 2019 or whatever it was. 2017. That was 17? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was terrible. She was just like in pain the whole time and I wasn't having a great time because I was like, this is my girlfriend. This girl's crazy. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing here. It's my first thing crewing. I ended up crewing like some professional runners. And it was like kind of fun, but like Alyssa was keeping up with them the whole time and like was putting herself through a lot of pain. Cause it was like her first 100. Is that yeah, the first? It yeah. was, it was, uh, but then it's like really cool that like the, like, you know, mile 90 into a hundred when she's like doing exactly the plan that she wanted to. Um, and she's like, oh, I feel all right. I'm a little hungry. Can't wait for some pizza at the end, but I'm doing okay. Like, that's a really good feeling. Maybe it's a spouse more than a, than a crew chief or crew member. But, yeah, that's a really relaxing and good feeling. I don't know the craziest story. The craziest story I've ever seen is, like, I don't know. I, I stand by. I've seen so many people pull up in an aid station and just bawling their eyes out because of headlamps. <laughs> it's fair. And it's just like, oh my God, what were you thinking? Like, <laughs> why didn't you carry a headlamp at, when you left the aid station at 7 p.m.? Like, what, yeah. did, you, what did you think was going to happen? I, I haven't really seen any. I've seen lots of people puking. That's for sure. It's pretty standard. Um, no, I, I don't think it's anything that crazy, but it's just, just weird people eating and running. And crying that pretty much sums up ultra running yeah. weird people eating running and crying <laughs> yeah that's pretty much what it all comes down to that's pretty accurate um yeah i mean i can say some of my favorite experiences with you with crew moab was pretty spectacular i feel like that came that was that's such a huge endeavor and really just came together in such an awesome way with a really fun group of people yeah i i not this like this is not what it's not about but it was really cool because it was there's a navy guy army guy air force guy and army guy i don't know if i ever marine. said it. marine corps okay yeah. yeah so we had every branch represented there and it was just really cool to see us all work together um yeah cody had to tell a couple people to shut up a few times maybe one in particular <laughs> but you know no it's uh it's just so fun to have that power behind you just when you have a group of people that believes in you enough to give up a weekend to give up three days to give up you know a night it's it feels really special and Uh, actually one of the it's not the craziest thing i've seen one of the hardest things as a crew member especially if it's your significant other is to see them in like 
so much pain and like, but they want to keep going. And it's like, you just want them to stop and end their pain, but they just want to keep going and like purposely put themselves through pain to achieve something they want to do. And then I think that's probably like the craziest thing I've seen is like people will be like, Oh man, you'll including myself. You don't look like you're having a great time and this is no longer fun for either of us. Um, See, Cody says that. And he always says like Moab was really hard to watch because I was, I was mostly just sleep deprived, but I think of Moab as like, that was the most fun ever. Like, yeah, I had a little blip at like mile 50, actually mile the first. Yeah. Like mile 50, mile 80 were a little rough. And then after that, I had a great time. So I keep being like, how did I look that bad? Like (laughs) I was having fun. And if you want to see a reference, you can look on either of our Instagram pages. You'll find a collage of her sleeping in the dirt and you'll know what I'm talking about. (laughs) It's like six or seven pictures of her taking literal dirt naps. Uh, Well, I think that that's a great starting point for a lot of people to understand what goes into crewing an ultra. So thank you, Cody, for helping us with that perspective and sharing your experiences. Oh, you're very welcome. And thank you for meeting my lifetime goal of being on the uphill athlete podcast. Oh, I try my best. You're the reason why I got into uphill athlete. So yeah, listen to your spouses, people. Sometimes they know what they're talking about. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening. We hope that you enjoyed this episode If you could rate, review, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, that really helps us to help more people and educate more people about mountain adventures. So have a great day. It's not just one, but a community. We are Uphill Athlete.